0: like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare,
1: and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC.
0: This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hey, Pod, we are back for part two of our AMA. We have so many questions that we could not get them done in one week. And I'm really excited about this one because... This question that we're going to start out with has been asked so many times in so many different ways.
1: Mm
0: So (laughs) oftentimes it's, it actually happens both when people are pregnant and post kids, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a woman will say, should I move closer to my family for, for the support and the community?
1: What's your answer to that? (laughs) I mean, I I actually moved not necessarily to be closer to family, I moved to be closer to an SNC community, an active and diverse SNC community. So I moved from Pennsylvania to the DMV area for work and for the SNC community. So I would say, do your assessment and decide your whys for moving and make sure that you are being realistic about what this move could entail and then try to do it in a way that has the least amount of regret. So if you're moving for family, make sure you know who the family is that you're moving for, right? Really know them. If you're moving for community, make sure that you understand what the potential of that community is. Like I, I kind of dibbled and dabbled in the SMC community here in the DMV. So I was kind of aware of what they were and the cultural aspects in the area. So for me, it was a good move. I moved toward um, a village and community, not necessarily family. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think that this is a question that's also very fraught with privilege because not everybody has a, a job that can just up and leave. So I think that this is very complicated depending on the person's situation. Like for example, if you can move somewhere and try it out without changing jobs or moving to a situation that's going to put you in more financial stress. Like mm-hmm. I know sometimes people's families do not live in cheap places. So if you're not moving in with your family, that could that could be significant, right? So I would just say look at the cost benefit analysis there and understand that you really need to take an inventory of your people because if your relationship for example is strained with your family before you have kids, I would not make the assumption that having kids is going to fix a strange, strained relationship. So I would just really think hard about that before you move. That said, I mean, I'm a person who lives in a multi generational household. And for me, it works out really well. Does it come, come with trade offs? Of course, right? There are things that you have to compromise when you are in a multi generational house, but there are also a lot of benefits to that. And so yeah I think it's super important to really think about that and like you Aisha I moved from I moved from Seattle back to DC and it wasn't just the community aspect because I did have more friends and family here but for me it was living in a more diverse neighborhood and a more progressive place and mm-hmm. even though Seattle is said to be progressive, it was like performing progressive. And it just didn't feel like a very healthy environment to raise two brown children in. So I think this is also something that women should consider because I know lots of our families don't always live in places that are progressive and welcoming to Black SMCs. And if that's the case for you and you're considering a move to Montana or somewhere in the middle of nowhere, I think you should really think about how what that's going to mean and whether or not your village can make visits to see the babies versus you putting yourself into a situation that's going to be uncomfortable for your family.
1: Right, I definitely agree. And culture and being in a progressive environment, black progressive environment was important for me. You know, I I would I would, I would weather almost any storm to make sure that my girls grew up as free black girls. And so for me, it was important where I lived as well. So another aspect to moving to be with family is sometimes, who do I turn to, if something goes wrong. So if I get sick, you get sick, the kids get sick, and I'm immobile. You know, what does my village look like? How deep is my village in order to pull and leverage that support in that way? And so, however, both you and I this year, we we had COVID. The house went down, you know, what have you. And I think that that might have been the first time because COVID had been in the past such a catastrophic event, you know, it got you to thinking, well, what will I do? So what 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 did you do and how did you leverage your village? so
0: like I mentioned I live in a multi-generational house but because of that my parents are not, not spring chickens and so when we had COVID hit our house I really had to try to separate everyone because I was mostly concerned about my parents and them not getting sick interestingly and I think this happens for a lot of people The toddler was the least sick of all of us. She (laughs) tested positive eventually and was bopping around like, nope, nothing can happen when several of us were just down for the count. And I think, first of all, many times when you're sick and your kid is either sick or not sick, it doesn't necessarily require going and, and getting help. I think sometimes people feel mom guilt with iPads and movies But I'm going to tell you, these things can be lifesavers when you're not feeling well. And no kid is going to have problems for life because they watched an extra episode of Elmo when you were sick. So I just recommend moms releasing that shame and doing the best to make sure that the kid is safe. So Mm -hmm. if it's a child that is really, really young, I know what I used to do is I had like a playpen And I would put some safe toys in the playpen and I would just lie down next to the playpen and (laughs) allow myself to be sick. But I also think, you know, some of the very real things is like, what happens if your child is actually sick enough to go to the hospital? And for me with two, I have to leverage my community in a very real way when that happens, because I'm not bringing both kids to the hospital. So what I've done is, is I have, I have kind of my list of five people who have agreed to be be sort of on call if should something happen. And, and I've been fortunate to this point that I've been able to leverage someone like one of those people, when I've had to go bring a child to the hospital, or, you know, bring myself to the hospital. How about you, Aisha?
1: So I I had two instances of having to leverage my village. When I got COVID, I was the only person in my house who got COVID. So the kids did not get it. And so my I was sick, but I it was like, the flu. So I wasn't, I was out of it for like two days. So, so the way my village came through for me was they sent me Uber Eats gift cards so that I didn't have to worry about cooking for the family. Um, so that was with COVID. I, we recovered, um, what have you. I did have an instance where I unexpectedly had to take, uh, my toddler to the hospital. And so that was kind of scary because it happens in an instant, you're not really prepared for it. So I went to the doctor, her blood oxygen level had dropped really low. They were like, you need to go to the emergency room now. And so I had to call my sister who is part of my village and she's the part of my village that is, my expectation is that she drops everything. And because of the nature, it's like, drop everything. I need you to get my car. I need you to come get the, my oldest child. We'll meet you at the emergency room. Here's where I'm going to be. And so I think you need those people in your family as well. That is just the drop everything. I'm going to heap all of this on you and expect you to handle it type of people. And so we ended up going in the ambulance to an emergency room. My oldest could not stay there, but they let her stay in the room until my sister came and got her. And then my sister had to go and then go get my car. So that meant that she needed a second driver. And so you need to have, I mean, there are levels to the support Mm -hmm. of a village that you need. You need people who are just like, I just need you to pick up my kid because I've got a late meeting, right? Mm -hmm. I've had an accident. My car is undriveable. Can you come get us all? We're okay. I need you to drop everything you know, come, come get these kids because I can't, I'm, I'm incapacitated. Right. And so I think when you think about putting together a village and you think about moving for family, you need to absolutely know who it is in your family and what role they're going to play. So I don't leverage my sister every day, but probably like once or twice a year, I need her to call in and do some heavy lifting. Um, and yeah, I so- think
0: proximity is important too, though, because if you're in a place where you just don't have anybody who you could call to, to be there in an emergency, that's definitely a consideration. But I would say that that shouldn't stop women from being in a place where you may not have that in, in, initially. I mean, look, if you had to, you could keep your kid in the emergency room with you. It's not an ideal situation for sure. And if you're in a situation where you aren't sure who you would call, I would also recommend in building community. You will find those ride or die people, but you also have to be ride or die yourself. So if you are trying to build that community and you make really good friends, especially friends who have kids, you know, I've had this conversation with several of my mom friends, and even if they are married and they have, you know, they have a partner who can come help. I'm often like, Hey, look, if you and your husband have to both go to the hospital, like you can drop your other kid off with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I come through. And I sometimes have to be like, they may not, they may not initially ask you, but if they tell you that something happened, like I'm the friend who will show up at your door and be like, Hey, do you want me to get the other kid? Like I'm here. Right. And when you're there and they see you and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is so much, this is so helpful. If you need that, that level of support in return, that type of, that person is going to be more willing because they're realized like, Oh, this person
1: is part of my village too. All right. Last two, last two things, leverage your SMC community because we get it. Right. And we will also recognize when an emergency is an emergency and mama needs to eat. And then secondly, leverage. Let I know some people are not out with their SMC status. I was out. So my daycare knew my situation. So when I had to go deliver my second child and I had returned home and had my oldest with me, I had to leverage my daycare to find a parent who could come and get my child and take her to school at least for a week to give me a buffer And so sometimes you have to ask your larger community, um, and put out there, here's what the need is. Um, okay. All right. So (laughs) how do I go about getting a sitter when I'm cautious about who I leave my child with? Yeah,
0: this is hard. I see so many moms early on just burning themselves to the ground. You know, they're, they're working full-time jobs and then they're picking their kids up from daycare or they're not even picking their kids up from daycare and they're working from home trying to get the kids. It's exhausting. And I will say you need some mom time every once in a while, even if it's going out and just just being in Target or the grocery store by yourself and not having little people there to make noise or make you feel uncomfortable or anxious. Or just to sit and drink your coffee while it's still warm and not have to deal with like all the distractions. So I feel this very, very heavily. And it's because for me, I came to the SMC path having face trauma before. So when I first was looking for a sitter, I didn't trust anybody. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't care if these sites did background checks and what I did with that anxiety is first of all, I would interview, I would pre-interview everyone just to see, okay, do do I actually feel comfortable with this person just meeting them? Now, look, that's not a foolproof method, right? We all know that psychopaths like can just- (laughs) seem normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I will say that I've also put cameras up and I will tell the person, the sitter, I will say I have cameras in my house because there's no reason to hide it. I want them to know they're being watched. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: anybody who is good and understands it will not have a problem with this. If they have a problem with it, then they're probably not the right fit. And I have also hired people to watch the kids while I'm still in the house. I will go to another room and that way you have the safety and comfort of being like I'm going to give this person a trial and see how things are going before I actually leave. And then once you leave you can also leverage the cameras. So I but I will say you just got to pull off that band-aid. You got to try it out be it a sitter or you know maybe a kid swap with a friend of yours. Whatever, you got you got to get away from the kids every once in a while. How about you Aisha?
1: Yes, I would say um, care apps, care apps have come a long way. They do a lot of the heavy lifting. They do background checks. Um, and so I would say leverage those, but still do your due diligence, right? Meet with the people, talk with the people, um, before you bring the person into the house. Now I was, I, I was an SMC who was just like, I'm going to be that person who I'm going to get childcare and I'm going to do it on a monthly basis. And the reality of that is that the kids are so young and they're so innocent and vulnerable that you just have to wait until you're comfortable doing it. And I will say for me, I didn't feel comfortable until the kids became verbal. So around three is when I felt comfortable. But now I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. And so... I I feel like I'm I'm more confident, you know, that the eight-year-old can give direction, can say, has intuition to know when things feel wrong or feel unsafe or what have you. And so for me, I throw, Mm -hmm. I do my due diligence and then I, I throw a bit of caution. I pray before I leave, you know, I meet the person and so I'm a little bit more comfortable now with the eight and three-year-old leaving them with a the sitter and they're together. I think I really struggled when I had one kid because that one-to-one, a kid-to-adult relationship didn't sit well with me for some reason because I felt like that's my relationship. But now that it's like, you know, two-on-one, they play with each other and interact with each other more so the sitter is just kind of there like watching and, you know, guiding activities. And so, so then my thing would be, do your due diligence. If you're lucky enough to tap into um, an au pair or a nanny network, you know, the groundwork has been laid. They know the routine they've worked with um, small kids before, but do your due diligence and do it when you feel comfortable um, and just save up that money until you feel comfortable. If you're like me and like, I'm going to get a sitter, I'm going to get a, just save that money until you feel comfortable. Yeah. But for me, it, my comfort came when my kids became verbal.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it, it does get better. So for the moms out there who just, you know, you are super anxious about leaving your kid, your nonverbal kid. Like I totally get that. It does get better. But I will also say one thing that I really like about some of the apps is that they allow you to see other families that have given ratings yeah. uh-huh. and uh, I've also been very transparent in my readings. Like if I don't like a sitter, I'll be like, you know what, this person had this problem, this problem, and this problem, because look, like I'm looking out for the next parent too. And I appreciate when parents are really transparent with like, this is, this is a person my kid really liked. I also will say that kids are often a better judge of character than we are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is one of the things that is important, especially when your kid starts to get verbal listen to your child. I still remember a sitter from when I was a kid that I could not stand. Her name was Cookie. I don't know if it was her real name, but her whatever her pet name was, Cookie. And she was just mean. And I was little too. I think I was like two or three. And I still remember Cookie and her horribleness. And I think Cookie was also racist. (laughs) Uh, There was just so many things. And so I remember telling my parents that I hated her. And my brother loved her because he treated, she treated him well, but I did not.
1: Mm-hmm. And also make, leverage your SNC community. Um, because if you have, F, if you have SNC friends that you trust, they would have already vetted their care provider. And so you could also say, does anybody have a recommendation for a babysitter? And so that way you're just paying the babysitter rate and you're not necessarily paying the rate for the application as well. So another I guess category of questions that come up, they come up during the preparing stages. And we are smack dab in about a whole cohort of babies about to be born. So moms are getting ready to set up, you know, wills and guardianships, right? So what type of estate planning should I do? And when? So I will, I will start. So I know, I was on the fence about when to start doing my estate planning, but it was important to me that before I went into delivery with my oldest child, that I had something in place. So I started with one of the internet um, law firms and I created a quick will and set up guardianship before I delivered my first. And then life got crazy. And I'd say around the time my oldest was five, I sought out a law firm to make sure that I had an ironclad estate plan, guardianship, um, a a trust set up, and um, a medical power of attorney um, set up. God forbid something happened to me. I wanted to make sure that I had ironclad legal documents in place um, for my kids. How about you, Hera?
0: So this gave me a lot of anxiety, and it took me a really long time to actually do this. (laughs) And sadly, it took me until my second was born, which means my my oldest was five.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think you know, I it was it was during a school auction that I actually won. Uh, I won time with an attorney to set up estate planning, and it was actually a longer and more involved process than I imagined because they will ask you things like, you know, what what do you want to do with your money. And your money, like having control of your money, isn't necessarily even the same person who has control of your kids. Right. So, and I think for me, it was really difficult. I mean, I'm sure it's difficult for everyone. Look, like nobody wants to be planning for in the event that something happens to them. Mm -hmm. But I think as a single mom, it's even potentially more troubling just because there's no second parent to fall back on. So anybody that you Assign guardianship is going to be a person who essentially did not choose to have these children, and is now going to have these children when they're Mm -hmm. they're not there. So, I was very conscious about having those conversations, and the people that I spoke to, they're like, "Well, of course," and I'm like, "Okay, but I understand you're saying this now, but I still understand that I needed to have this conversation with you because I need to be make sure that we're on the same page, and that if something happens to me." You're, this isn't coming as a shock. And also you will respect my wishes about right. what how I want them to be raised. And so I do think that it's a conversation people need to have with the person that is that that you person and people really, because you have to have like a first choice, a second choice, a third choice, because look, mm-hmm. like you could all be in a bus accident. And I know that this is also my anxiety brain, but you know, mm-hmm. I think it's important to have those.
1: Yeah. And so it, just to kind of set the the context here, you're going to get probably like a packet of information, documents and forms to fill out. So it's not gonna be something that you sit down and you do in one setting because you're gonna have to go find documents. You're gonna have to find account numbers. You're gonna have to talk to people, have these conversations. And I know for me, part of my guardianship plan was I need to start getting my kids with this person and starting to be proactive about building that relationship as well. And so that was important to me, but I do also understand the anxiety that people will have when they're pregnant or have an infant and filling out these guardianship forms because no one wants to think about their demise, especially as an SMC, you're the only parent that this child has. Now also attached to that, part of my um, estate planning is also making sure that I maintain my own physical health. So that means staying on top of my health maintenance appointments, dentists, physicals, gynae appointments, and, you know, things like that mammograms, right? Because early intervention is going to be really important for for any one of those um, scenarios. So it's multi-tiered, multi-layered, but don't be afraid to have the tough conversations because planning We're planning people. So planning is going to play a big part in making sure that your children's future um, are secured, whether you're here or not.
0: So we had an entire episode on how much does it cost to have a baby, (laughs) which I encourage people to go back and listen to because it was a good one. But I think something that comes up a lot is how do I know I'm financially ready to become an SMC? How much, you know, how much savings do I need to have? And I think I can I can understand the anxiety here because I think one of the hardest things about preparing for this is knowing that you are the person who is solely financially responsible for this child. How did how do you navigate that Aisha and what would you tell parents who are just starting out like trying to determine if this is the path
1: for them. I mean, it it is expensive. And I think that you raising kids are expensive in general. So I think you want to go into it with that mindset. And with that in your mindset, for me, I try to be fiscally um, conservative. So I do think long and hard before I make purchases, I do make sure try to make sure that I've got my finances in order. So I've got, you know, um, college funds set up. I've got, you know, my own 401k. So I want to be making sure that I'm securing my financial future as well as theirs. And I also came to be in an SMC at a midpoint in my career. So I was established and I wasn't worried about jumping from job to job. So I kind of knew that the devil I knew is the devil I knew, right? So I was okay staying at my job. Um, but For me, um, whether or not I was financially ready just depended on how how stable I was in my life in terms of all of the things financial. You really... It's hard to anticipate how much money you're going to need because it depends on what kind of lifestyle you want. So you have SMCs that are, you know, not making a whole lot of money, but still living the life that they want. And then you have other SMCs on the other spectrum who are our high earner SMCs. I mean, both comes with pros and cons. Um, and things of that nature. But I say you have to be comfortable with where you are financially and have a plan for how you're going to maintain lifestyle. And have a plan B in case you know things unexpected that happen. So have a rainy day fund.
0: So I think even more than amount of money, I think what's more important is financial stability. So, regardless of what your income is or what your career and earning potential is. Having yourself established in whatever career that is, is super important because when you have kids, it's not going to be the time where you're going to be able to hustle in your career the way that you can hustle pre-kids. Not to say that you can't hustle again, right? Like we all go through periods where it's like, okay, now my kids are in school. Maybe I can get back to hustling hard with my career. But Mm -hmm. what I will say is a lot of times, especially when younger SMCs come to this path, I think sometimes they're just, they're feeling like their biological clock is sticking so hard. And I would recommend people time, go get the fertility testing and just get the data that you need. And if you have time, assess where you are in your career and what you where you want to be in your career and whether or not you feel secure enough in what you're currently doing. It's hard to have a baby and then all of a sudden start a new job and try to like build up your professional reputation while you're also not getting any sleep because your newborn is... A newborn <laughs> right I think for me it's less about how much money you're making and more about if you're if you've established yourself in whatever career or job that you have because it's not an easy time to be making changes and if you have if you aren't happy with what you're doing, which a lot of times planning to have kids, you might be thinking, my gosh, my schedule is not conducive to children. I know lots of women will be asking about you know, can I find an overnight nanny what if I'm what if I'm a night nurse and I Uh, and I have an an odd schedule. So not to say that it's not possible to work around that because it is, and there's plenty of SMCs who have that uh, consideration, but before you have kids is the time to kind of address whether or not you are in a career that you think you can handle being an SMC in and being able to give yourself some time to make that shift if that's the case before you actually start trying
1: and i would say it's probably a really good thing to be a part of an smc community as you're starting to think because then that if you're if you're on the younger end of the spectrum it gives you enough time to make those shifts to to even know to assess your work schedule and your work environment and decide for yourself if you need to make a change sooner rather than later okay so One other question that we think is really important and comes up in our space a lot is that as an SNC, you fill out a lot of official paperwork for your children, passports, school documentation, hospital records, birth certificates. What do you fill in for the second parent, Hera? So
0: this is interesting. Uh, I'm going through this
1: right now because I'm
0: applying for new schools for my kids and there's always second parent. I just say N-A. And interestingly, recently, one of the schools reached out to me and was like, well, you know, we need the dad's information so that he can also be invited to the parent interview. And so I had to send back a polite email and I was like, well, there is no dad. And I had to explain the situation, which was fine with me because I'm I'm fully open with my family structure. I think the thing that was hard for me with that particular document is that the options were like head of household uh you know all the it's a like all the parents and guardians live in the household and then the second option was divorced mm-hmm. and separated or something and so I chose option a because I'm not divorced and all of the parents and guardians live in this house right mm-hmm. and so I think that they made the assumption then that I just didn't include the dad who also lives in the house and I was like, well that was an interesting assumption there was no third option <laughs> like one parent and one parent only and so yeah I mean I, I just say NA or sometimes depending on if they if the situation warrants it I'll go into more detail. How about you?
1: Yeah, I pretty much do NA. And I think an important point to put on this one is that your birth certificate should match. Like everything should be consistent. And you'll typically run into this sometimes with people who say they use a known donor, but they actually know the person and that kind of gets murky and it's like you felt you wanted to put somebody's name on a birth certificate if you do that then you can't put na right because all of the official documents have to to match so for me i put na on my birth certificate i left the um father section blank because i used the donor uh, in some cases with the daycare, because you're going to have a more prolonged and longer relationship, I did have the conversation when I submitted my documents that my children are donor conceived, I used a sperm donor from a sperm bank, you know, so XYZ, and in daycare, and as you go through school, you will be having this conversation a lot. And you'll, you're you going to get real comfortable with like, just it's the facts, because School will give you a form like, is there anything I need to know about the the child's home life? You know, daycare, you know, is there anything I need to know? So you're going to be real comfortable asking these questions. Be upfront. It's a fact. There's no crazy Mm -hmm. feelings about it. And just be honest with your documentation. So when you go to fill out your passport, you fill out your passport documentation the same way it's on the birth certificate. A lot of times they're going to ask for the documentation. Can I see the the birth certificate? And as long as there's no name on the birth certificate, people are just not even going to to bat an eye. So when you go for your password, they'll be like, are both parents here? I'm a solo parent Mm -hmm. and there's no father listed on my birth certificate. Here's my paperwork. Yeah, I think with the school, it's really important
0: to understand that by being more transparent, especially when it comes to those forms that your teachers ask you to fill out about your child's experience, oftentimes putting more information on there can also save your child from the awkwardness of having to explain to their teacher because it's a lot easier as a parent to come and be like, hey, I'm going to tell you the facts about the fact that this was a donor And even Mm -hmm. if your kid is comfortable with their experience, it's really awkward for like a preschooler or first grade, second grader, third grader to have to explain to their teacher that their mom went to a sperm bank to get a donor, right? it's just a lot, it's a lot cleaner and easier for your child's experience for you to just come right out with it and say there is no dad. That way, when there are conversations in the classroom and there are things that come to like celebrating family, they already know. And so they can be supportive for your child and also understand and not get all weird about it when it comes up. Okay. Well, awesome. It has been a pleasure. I'm sure we'll get loads more questions and we'll have to do another one of these soon. But yeah, this was fun. And I encourage everyone to just also continue asking us questions. We're happy to answer them. And as Aisha said, find a community. Oftentimes you can find it through social media and then connect with people in person. And We just encourage you to do so, even if you're not sure you want to go down this path.
1: Well, Pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Dot .com Till next time pod bye now